0: Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. We sat down with Garrett O'Hara, or GAR as he's better known, and we chatted about a research piece conducted with Forrester and how cybersecurity training hasn't been changing the outcomes. We discussed how things need to change in the industry and how more people need to make a change because the same old things just clearly aren't working. This was a very frank conversation and we talked honestly about our thoughts. If you're keen to learn more about this, then please keep on listening. Okay. So, Gah, now I'm interviewing you. So, a few weeks on since you interviewing me, I don't know what position I prefer. I still think I like interviewing people. So, I'm excited to get you onto our podcast to talk about you and your knowledge. And I know there's definitely some areas that we're going to dive into in quite detail today. So, I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, I'd love for you to talk to our listeners about your journey into security, where you started to where you are now.
1: Yeah, awesome. Like, so I'm one of those people that uh, I'm sure you've seen you know, the, the kind of journey maps uh, that look like squiggles and that's definitely uh, how I've gotten to where I am at the moment. So I, I spent seven years actually buried in developments. So I was a coder back in the day, probably uh, started about 23, 24 years ago. And it's probably giving my age away a little bit. So I, I spent a lot of time looking at screens and doing what honestly felt like so, <laughs> Sudoku for eight to 10 hours per day. Um, and you might be able to hear that I'm Irish with the accent. So I also spent a lot of time in in pubs telling stories, um, making people laugh and, you know, kind of living that Irish life. So sort of found myself getting pushed front of room more and more, um, you know, I was building things and then I was actually getting to, you know, stand in front of a room of people and and kind of explain how things worked or what the value was. So sort of had a natural, um, I suppose it was naturally drawn to doing that stuff. So, like many people who end up doing what I do, which is kind of technical consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't kind of wake up and it's not like being an astronaut. Uh, you know, you don't kind of wake up as a seven-year-old and go, I really want to be in tech consulting. But I, I think people who are kind of wired for it just find their way there. So, yeah, I spent probably the last 13 years or so doing that Um project management. And, you know, like if, if I kind of think about what I am, I feel... the the two words that pop into my head all the time is just kind of technical communication. Like that's the thing that I really enjoy Yeah, as a sort of professional in this industry. And like, I'll be honest in amongst all of that stuff, I did take a year out because I was completely burned out. And it was a, it was funny how that happened. Actually, I was lying on a conference room floor in an office in Sydney and I was on a one-to-one with my manager who was out of the U S and, at the start of that call, I had no intention of quitting. And by the end of it, which was 45 minutes later, I had basically said, you got three months and um, I'm going to take a year off. Um, but I'm back. Um, you know, I've been, been with a company called Moncast for the last five years um, and obviously heavily focused on the cybersecurity side of things
0: hmm That's interesting. You say that no one really wakes up and says, oh, I'm going to go work in technical consulting. And I think I sort of started off doing like on the tool stuff and then sort of found my strength on the comm side of it and sort of been doing that ever since. So it's, it's kind of like an evolution, so to speak, when people end up mm. in these types of roles. And so, talk to me a little bit more, I, in your opinion, do you think that a lot of people still at the moment are devaluing, I don't like to call them soft skills, because I think these are skills that uh, should be incumbent of anyone, no matter what role you're doing. But I still feel there's this sort of divide in the industry. It's like, oh, you soft skills people, as they would refer to <laughs> versus the technical people. I don't know if there's really a need for that. And I am kind of just curious why I ask as many people as I can on this and the, there's still a common consensus around why that is, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts.
1: Interesting. You say that, right. Cause I've been having conversations around tribalism, uh, over the last, uh, well, probably a week or so based on all the things that are going on in the world. Um, you know, the, the sort of divisiveness. I weirdly think we're wired for some version of tribalism. So I think the people who say that, you know, the soft skills people versus the maybe more technical people, I think it's just maybe a, it's it's that, you know, you're seeing a little bit of that. But my sense is that soft skills certainly have become more important. Um, I think table stakes these days is, is the good technical understanding of whatever your field is. You know, if you're a developer, you kind of need to know how to do that well. If you're in cybersecurity, you need to know the technical new controls, you need to understand uh, all of that stuff. But you also really need to understand the other side, which is um, call it communication for want of a better word or influence, persuasion, um, how to talk to people, how to get in front of a room of people and use language that resonates with them. So like my sense and certainly the, the teams that I work with and, and um, spend my days with, it's critical. I, I just don't see how you can do a good job these days in, in some roles anyway, within the sort of cybersecurity industry without being a really good communicator.
0: Oh, I 100% agree. And I think that that's the sort of gap that we saw. And I think that's what we sort of went into when you interviewed me. And I think that there's, there's that changing face now, because I would say, if you want to move up the chain, you want to become a manager, a leader, a CISO, a CTO. If you don't have those fundamental skills nowadays, I don't think that these people will last because I've heard a number of senior people sort of come around and say, like, I'm really bad at influencing people. Like I know the technical stuff and I've sort of worked my way up through the ranks, but now I'm not really strong at influencing people and and leading my team. And I think that now as an industry, we're sort of going, trying to go back and like retrofit that these skills that we should have had in the beginning, but are not there. And now we're trying to sort of do a piecemeal job at creating the whole soft skills thing. Uh, Are you seeing that too?
1: Yeah, I think we are. And look one of the things and the symptoms of that is the burnout rate right, and the mental health issues in the CISO world. You know, and it's it's fairly well documented and understood. And I would suspect that a large part of that is coming through people who are just incredibly good at what they do, understand what needs to be done, and then burn out because they're not able to influence the other side of the, you know, call it the other side of the fence, the business in a meaningful way so they get frustrated they burn out and then they change jobs and then it's, it's kind of rinse and repeat because to your point those core skills that are part of that job role they don't exist and you're kind of retrofitting or trying to maybe trying to train people up for things that uh, look let's be honest sometimes are uh their talents you know and they're they're things that you're either built for or you're not and um, mm-hmm. i'm personally not a big believer in that i think most things if not all things can be trained to some level and um, but what you'd be talking about there is conscious knowledge rather than somebody who's just built and wired for people um, and they're in my mind, they're very different things.
0: No, you absolutely Ryan. Right. And what's interesting what you say in, in your comments is that I spoke to someone this week and we were sort of just talking The people who traditionally went and studied IT were more on the side of, oh, I don't really like human beings. So if I do IT, I probably don't really have to communicate with them. And now that's changing face, because security and technical teams need to actually be talking to the business. So now I am like, Oh, actually I need to go and communicate. I need to go and show my face and speak to human beings. That doesn't really work for me because I'm not really that way wide. And I think now there's sort of this huge gap where it feels that there's this rivalry and we sort of go back to the beginning of the tribalism thing, because it's kind of like, well, I went into it because I didn't want to be involved with humans, but now I'm being forced to doing it. And I think that people as a result of that are getting quite annoyed because that goes kind of against their their core values, I think, maybe, perhaps. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and and personality types, right? I mean, that's the reality. We're we're kind of wired differently, and that's kind of the joy of the world. You know, there's people who are introverts, extroverts. There's people all along that spectrum. And it's funny because there's a TV show called uh, Halt and Catch Fire, and in one of the opening scenes, there's this beautiful scene. It's actually on YouTube Mm -hmm. where the, the sort of cliched salesperson, you know, amazing suit, great hairstyle, quite a handsome guy. He walks into a room of quite obviously technical people because they went with the, uh, um, stereotype, budget, budget glasses. Yeah. Short, yeah. shirts, pocket uh, square, you know, nerdy looking dudes. And, uh, you know, walks into a room, super alpha and says, where's my sales engineer? You know, and this kind of meek milk toast guy stands up and says, Oh, that's me. Um, and then they cut to a scene where they're at at dinner and, you know, the, the obvious cliched trope of, the, uh, the salesperson, you know, influencing, and then the the technical person saying the thing that was correct, but that was going to cost them the deal. Um, it's, it's just a phenomenal scene because in my mind, world and to your point, it's changed so dramatically. Like if I think about the teams that I work with in our company and the teams that I interact with, Man, they're, these days they're actually super social. They're mm-hmm. they're more fun than most people I've ever met in my life, and they're they're able to weirdly straddle both of those things. I wonder, partly, like this, you know, this is maybe a bit of a a bunny trail, but is it because so many people now spend time gaming and hacking, and you know, it's become kind of a cooler thing? So maybe it's attracting a different crowd. I don't, I don't know, but I do know when you go to the conferences, it you know, it ain't a bunch of people playing Dungeons and Dragons and you know, talking about. um You know, that sort of stuff. And actually, sorry, I'm not even implying that there's anything kind of nerdy about Dungeons and Dragons, but you probably get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. They're social people, you know, they're sitting around, they're having beers, they've got super rich full lives. And yeah, that that sort of meme of the sort of socially awkward technical person. I mean, I think that's just dead in my mind and, and hopefully is dying in other people's minds.
0: So where do you sort of see the future, as you mentioned before, in terms of CISOs, they feel frustrated, they can't influence and then they just burn out. And then you sort of said rinse and repeat. Do you think this will be the same type of cycle or how do you what's your approach as us as an industry sort of break away from that type of behavior?
1: Look, I think the the most important thing is acknowledging that there is a problem. And, um, you know, I think that's a, a human problem that has existed for the longest time, you know, it not acknowledging, hey, something isn't working here. Something is broken. And um, you know when it comes to that kind of, uh, look, the, the lack of tenure so often with CISOs, I mean, part of the, the big issue there is that it takes some time to get things done. And, you know, a little bit like the machinery of governments where the changes cost us as a society so much because somebody else comes in and they undo all the work and then this new program and a new vision. Um, so fundamentally, the business outcomes I would see is that longer tenured CISOs will just naturally get more stuff done because it takes some time to ramp, build trust, you know, navigate that human side, and, and kind of stay around. So what I would hope in the future is that that is understood. You know, it's understood better by the it, non-security people. And um, you know that that, the, that there's probably two parts to this, right? There's the part where, as an industry, we have to acknowledge the soft skills back to your original point, but then a second part. The other side is that the wider business needs to also acknowledge that what a CISO or a security person is saying needs to be listened to because it's really, really important from a business perspective. And they might not be amazing at building compelling PowerPoints or speaking, but, you know, the evidence or the um, sort of business outcomes should be really the core focus. So I feel like there's two parts to it. It's, you know, us as an industry or CISOs potentially. Uh, acknowledging the importance of the soft skills and that human influence but then secondly the uh, the wider business understanding the importance of what's being said from the security function
0: so do you think people have actually acknowledged it and what i mean by that statement is there are people that are that are acknowledging it that are taking action and there are people who are acknowledging it and then doing nothing what do you sort of think bucket we're in as i guess as a cohort of people so really generalize it i'm just curious to hear your opinion on that
1: I think we're starting to see the acknowledgments uh, of the, the problems. I think like so many things and, um, you know, COVID's in the lockdown and the, I think you and I talked about this, actually that transition to the the kind of model that we're in at the moment, I think that's been a catalyst and has sort of dialed the volume up in a lot of uh, these sort of issues. And mm-hmm. partly, I think what's, what I see or certainly hope is happening is that the voice of security has, has been dialed up, you know, it's been amplified because this this whole situation that we're, Know sort of currently in and you know are working our way through, it inevitably has sort of shone a light on the importance of security. So I think naturally, uh, I think some of the tension will hopefully go away for the CISO functions because they're being listened to in a way that maybe they weren't before. And um, so yeah, like it's it, it's kind of finger in the air stuff, isn't it? It's it's such a it's such a human problem. And so yeah, that's kind of my sense of it, but kind of guesswork. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I hear you. So let's dive into your research piece that you and I spoke about with Forrester. And I'm really keen to hear your overall insight being that cybersecurity training hasn't been changing the outcomes. This is really interesting because I'm hearing a lot of people say the same thing. And I'm really keen to dive into detail about this because I think that at a fundamental level, I think people think that it's being affected, but it's not. But now I'd love to jump into the insights that you've got.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, look, this is something I've been thinking about for some time. I saw a talk with uh, Dan Gregory a couple of years ago at uh, ASA, And for those who don't know Dan Gregory, he comes off the Gruen Transfer. He's uh, co-founder, I think, of the Impossible Institute. Uh, but fundamentally, like he's a kind of technologist, futurist, but incredibly good at communication. And um, he actually was a stand-up comic as well for some time. So I reckon that, that was the best security talk I've seen. And it was given by somebody who doesn't really kind of live and breathe this stuff. Mm-hmm. His point in his comments really was, Hey, you guys are getting it wrong. You know, when it, when it comes to kind of cybersecurity communications, it's, it's just all wrong. And I look, I suspect, and I know you and I have talked about this, that there's many of us in the industry and probably the ones who are maybe a little bit more f- focused on those soft skills and communication that kind of looked at what was happening and said to themselves, actually, hang on. You know, we're doing all this work. There's a lot of wheels spinning, but actually nothing is really changing. And by that, I mean, you see uh, learning management systems being used to to push out uh often dry and boring information heavy uh security training and people would quite often what you will see them do is kind of on their second screen let the video play on the first screen they're working away you know they're doing whatever their core role is and you know click, clicking a little box at the end that says completed training Mm-hmm. And the uh, security risk compliance teams get a an amazing ninety ninety five percent completion rate, and you know everyone sort of has a champagne and thinks you know job done, we're amazing. And like, let's be honest, like the world just doesn't work that way. And I think maybe there's a good analogy to security compliance. You know that approach where certifications are look, they're a really useful proxy to understand where a company is in terms of security, security controls. But in no way does that actually equate to good security practices. You know, it's a really incredibly good proxy, but that's about all it is. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, what I think the problem is, and there's multiple problems here, that we have IT and security people, back to your original comments around soft skills, who are maybe incredibly good at providing information. And they're wired as people who would change potentially their behavior based on information. But what they're providing is lots of data and data changes nobody's mind, we know that. That's, there's nothing controversial in that. Um, you know, stats and figures don't influence people. Um, you've got these incredibly talented security people who are not communications experts or trained in that area, and they're sending out information, and, or they're using the other thing, which is fear. And you know, psychologically, and I know you're into psychology, so I'm telling you things you already know. Defensive reactivity, you know, your amygdala kicks in because you're hearing fear-based education. Mm-hmm. So you kind of shut down, you don't learn the lessons and rinse and repeat, you know, we don't, we don't see anything change. A good example of this, um, I've sort of built a talk around this because it was just it really fun. It's so fascinating. Part of what I did was I printed out a, a standard comms that you would see from a CISO. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was an email and Literally was what I had seen other CISOs use. Can
0: you give an example of what that sort of looked like?
1: In practice, yeah, like a, an intro talking about how important security was. Um, it, you know, on a, say a size 14 point font, probably about a page of stuff. Mm-hmm. So a couple of paragraphs about how important security was. Um, I think there was five security tips. You know, use good passwords, lock your laptop, um,
0: very basic don't stuff. Don't
1: click on links. Yeah, like nothing, nothing crazy. And what I did was in the security bullet points, which were from memory, I bolded them and they, you know, in my head, I'm, I'm thinking like they're the, if I wasn't going to read this whole thing, at least I would look at the bullet points. <laughs> and what I did was in the fourth bullet point said, if you read this, scrunch it up, scrunch the piece of paper up, throw it at the stage, like write your name on the piece of paper first, sorry, scrunch it up. And um, it, when I see the first one land i'll open it up and whoever's name is on there gets a hundred dollars um, or two hundred dollars depending on the size of the audience it was uh, obviously a different amount of money and there's this beautiful moment in the talk where <laughs> you know in, in, in bigger rooms it worked really well because a portion of the audience and i've had to guess I mean, visually you're talking probably uh, like 10 maybe 15 percent of the audience would stand up and throw a piece of paper and everybody else is looking around like what the like, hell? what's like, going this? on yeah like he yeah, like he's he's not that bad. You're like, wow, you know, I've never seen a reaction to to, uh, to someone's like presentation.
0: That. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Course.
1: Exactly. So it was this beautiful moment that you know there was a trigger word in the bullet point. It was something like when you see the picture of X Y Z, you know, stand up, throw the paper, and it, it's amazing because it pointed so clearly to the fact that people don't read things and mm-hmm. they don't even read the bullet points that you've made. Very clearly are important, and um, and that's the problem. You know, information delivered in in text. It just doesn't resonate. So the hypothesis and and what Forrester have gone out and actually provided the the, uh, supporting data for is that if you look at behavior change, think of the advertising industry. They Mm -hmm. are ferociously good at changing people's minds. So what beer do you drink? What kind of car do you drive? Um, In Ireland, we had a huge campaign around stopping people drink driving and um, super successful. But what they've always done is they've used emotional messaging you know, it's mm-hmm. either makes you really sad and you miss your mom or it's going to be hilarious and, and memorable. And that's the thing that we sort of hypothesized was going to be more important in terms of cut through. So firstly, the cadence of communications, you know, not overwhelming people, not having a 45 minute long dry training session where people Ugh. just didn't engage. Yeah, like you get to the end of it, and you're like, wow, I've, I've heard nothing. Like you've probably had that experience, right? Where- oh,
0: several times. I used to fail my uh, compliance <laughs> training. Um, I was on the list too to be like, you haven't done your training because I was in that space and I just found it incredibly boring. I was like, this is so awkward that I'm doing this. I don't care. I just used to click to hope that I'd select. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't do too bad. I think I failed a few times. I ended up getting it right, but that's absolutely what I did. And I was in that space. Like that is terrible. But then imagine people who aren't even in that space. They're probably doing the exact same thing, just guessing their way through it.
1: 100% agree with you. And, and,
0: I'm just being honest. Like, it's, like that's true. Like yeah. I find it incredibly boring, right? And no one reads any of these things.
1: And and that's the problem, right? And and to your point, we're in this thing, so like at least there's part of uh, like partly an interest, you know, purely yeah. like oh, what questions are they going to ask to test me? And we check out So how 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 would we expect somebody who's sitting in finance or uh, human resources or operations or anything to look at this stuff and think it's important? And um, so that's the hypothesis. It's like, is this stuff working? So. It's not, it's the reality. Um, and when you look at the the kind of results that Forrester pulled out through their their kind of investigations and research and surveys, you're going to see stuff like, um, you know, in the respondents, about half of the employees in APAC that um, responded work around security policies, even after they've been through security and awareness training. And actually in New Zealand, that, that number goes up to a half. So our Kiwi cousins are, uh, yeah, they're in need of a little bit of a slap in the hand when it comes to awareness training. But um, that's the outcome. You know, people are going through this stuff, but actually, nothing is changing. So the, the stats, three, three out of four people said the training is just not engaging. You know, they want things like humor. Um, you know, they're looking at the stats. It was, uh, it was over nine out of ten. What the employees said, like, just make it funny. If not, nine out of ten,
0: that's mm. very substantially
1: high. Yeah, it's it's exa- exactly right. It's it's sort of um, it's a meaningful number of people. Um, and and you know, I know you do public speaking. You are well aware of how humor works as a way to open up people to messaging. It just works beautifully. Like if you if you can make an audience laugh, you sort of have them. You know they they'll listen to you and they'll they'll sort of trust you. They'll engage a little bit more or a lot more depending on how <laughs> how funny you are. Um, I'm not and, uh, funny,
0: but uh, there are different mechanisms <laughs> like self-deprecating and um, there's 100%. all these things in terms of public speaking that you can use to really capture your audience. It's just always awkward when someone tries to be funny. And you know it was meant to be funny, but then it's not funny. I feel for those people. And I think that unless you're really funny, don't do it.
1: Yeah, don't, don't try. Um, right, look, I agree. Dan Gregory, going back to that, was so good, right? That's a, an ex-stand-up comic talking about cybersecurity. And I, I would have paid. I would have I actually paid to go and see him in like a comedy show. It was that good. And it was about mm-hmm. cybersecurity. Um, so, yeah, I guess the point there is that if you can do it, then do it. You know, make, make people laugh, get them engaged that way. And we'll see some different outcomes, you know. And 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 that's probably the the big thing: how we communicate, getting people engaged, the mode of communications. So, a learning management system where you're watching a screen for forty-five minutes, that's not amazing. But maybe a you know a, a three-minute video, or um, you know it could be an instructor-led training session delivered, as you say, by somebody who's engaging and charismatic and get you know knows how to run a training session. Rather, mm-hmm. you know, as, and by that I mean a trainer or educator or influencer rather than somebody's incredibly good at cybersecurity who's going to tell you the facts because nothing changes from that.
0: Agree, And these are the people that, unless they're incredibly skilled, they should not be front and center at all. It actually does a disservice then. It it makes people think, wow, I just listened to this guy and he was really boring. I didn't retain any information because he spoke about things that I don't understand. And there's that disconnect. But the thing that really gets to me is that you mentioned before that uh, tick boxes about compliance and then no one really retains anything in these SATs. The thing is that why if people know that people aren't retaining it it's kind of like and i've used this analogy like a year ago it's like getting your money and throwing it in a fire that's what it feels like and we keep doing the same thing if it doesn't work why do we keep doing the same stuff? This is what perplexes me about this industry, and I happily have stood up and said this multiple times. And maybe people think that that was a very outspoken thing of me to say, which is very me. But I still think that if it doesn't work, then stop trying to make it work. And I think that people are just being naive to the fact that whatever they're doing hasn't worked. And the reasoning for that is, if cybersecurity awareness training was working, then why on earth are we still having so many breaches? In terms of, oh, the EA stuff something up, or the cleaner got socially engineered. Clearly, what we're doing isn't working, and I think now it's time to sort of hang up the old hat and try something else. Just saying. Oh, look,
1: I, I, I totally agree. So I'm happy to jump up on that soapbox with you and, and preach from a street corner um, because you're right. What I would say though is that problem, this this issue that we have, where you know organizations do the same thing and still get the same results and throw money away, like it ain't it ain't a cybersecurity issue, right? I mean, I see that across so many organizations where. Even a cursory look at what they're doing from a process perspective or systems perspective will say, hang on, this makes no sense. But change is hard. Change is expensive. There's potentially sometimes politics at play where someone's ego is sure, in the way. hundred yeah, percent. And I'm sure you've been through that, right, where there's a very clear decision to be made. But you'll see somebody in a room of you know mm-hmm. maybe multiple people defending a decision. And then it turns out afterwards, actually, it was you know, their choice to put the you know, original system in place or to do the approach that's currently not working. So I think you're playing with back to humans. It seems you know, like we can't get away from that. Um, politics, the perception of change being hard. And oh, this, this is going to sound horrible, but I think sometimes there's a little bit of, lazy, sort of laziness uh, that creeps in there. And it's, a, it's doing something. And, you know, the cost to change from a business perspective is perceived as too hard or too expensive or will take too long. So let's kick it down the road a little bit um, because, you know, the, the building isn't burning down. And my experience with anything that has to do with cybersecurity is it can sometimes feel like the uh, the example I heard at a talk one time was in a conference room of a board meeting where they're, they're looking at expenses. And, you know, there was a comment around why are we paying the cleaners so much? You know, look at this boardroom. It's immaculate. And cybersecurity is a little bit like that because it sometimes can feel easy to kick it down the road because we haven't been breached yet. You know, it's not a material impact right now. We're, mm-hmm. we're playing with something that's slightly unknown, um, a little bit like changing away from, like, I'm a, I was a smoker for a long time. Uh, loved it when I was a smoker. I really enjoyed it. And um, the idea of not being a smoker for me, just how hard is that to do? You know, I'm going to save money. I know it's bad for my health. But, you know, moving away from it isn't easy because there's patterns of behavior that are, are kind of in there at the moment. So like, I think there's a whole heap of complex stuff happening that leads to the frustration that both of us seem to have around this stuff where, you know, it's the business uh, inertia, you know, the the cost of change, the perceived hassle and friction of change. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that those stakeholders within AT programs where uh, potentially they don't fully appreciate what's going on because they're the people who, if they sat through their version of AT or awareness training, they would actually think this is really good. Like, this is so obvious. They're, you know, slapping their face, sorry, their their palms off their uh, face kind of going, what the hell, you know? And then that's what leads to the users are idiots thinking. And that actually really winds me up, you know, and I'm sure you've heard that as well. Yes, of course.
0: Absolutely. That's a terrible thing to say.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's sort of uh, it shirks responsibility first of all and uh, and secondly it's just not true. You know, if you've got you know, somebody not- who's an incredibly sharp CFO, they're evidently not an idiot. Like that's <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. So, you know, we need to take responsibilities, and another part of this, we need to say actually hang on this is our problem and if I can't be the communicator here and I can't create engagement with the end users or the employees, then my responsibility is to find a platform or a program or people who can do that for me.
0: So I totally agree with you, and I, I literally had this conversation with someone uh, the other day about that CFO. is incredibly smart, but then it's kind of like, well, if their roles were to reverse, do you think the security guy would know about all the CFO stuff, like all of the financial? I mean, I don't, I can't even speak it because I'm not at all well versed in that area. So
1: I, can I really can't attend what's towards <laughs> with you
0: financial stuff. Wow, that was terrible that I said that, but. You know what I'm saying, and I think that that that's interesting because I think it's kind of like if, if I'm trying to explain something to you and you don't get me, that's on me. That's not on you, and you're not 100%. an idiot. And I think that there has to be more accountability and responsibility. If you're trying to explain to Deborah who's in finance and she doesn't get you, that's on you. And I feel that, however, a lot of people in the industry will project, oh, no, but Deborah's dumb because De- Deborah doesn't understand security. Well, I think that's fundamentally wrong, and I think those conversations need to change. But then the other thing I'd like to ask you on is – so you spoke before around, obviously, people, there's a lot of ego in there and maybe someone's been working in the organization for 40 years and they don't like change. But how do we as an industry get people to change? Because if failure to change in terms of SAT, then we're not going to get the outcomes that we all talk about we're not. So to me, how do we sort of bound together? Or do you think that we're not actually bounding together enough as an industry? Do you think everyone's sort of trying to do their own thing and we're not working together as a as a as a unit or what do you sort of think that we can actually sort of break through to change the conversations that are had internally with these companies that have been doing the same stuff that clearly doesn't work?
1: So my sense is that I agree with you. I think the strength in numbers, first of all, and I do see that. Um, I do see kind of banding together, CISO groups forming, you know, WhatsApp groups uh, forming where people are kind of sharing information and getting kind of best practice and, and starting to understand this stuff better. And I know uh, the ACSC did some of that work with, I think was there was their it was a CHIPS program, um, where they kind of linked up uh, CISOs across kind of governments agencies and entities to kind of help with this stuff. Um, so, look, I, I think that is happening. And that's my my sense of it. And in terms of the change, I do also feel like that is starting to happen too. And, you know, I've observed that over the last probably well, certainly five years, that my, my feeling of this as an industry is much more collaborative and at multiple different layers. So certainly people who I, I suspect five years ago even would have been considered competition when I go to conferences now, they're the people I tend to end up having coffees with and going to have beers with. You know, they are people in other organizations and, uh, you know, sometimes kind of parallel security organizations sometimes kind of, you know, competes. But I think people have started to care less about that. And it's starting to feel a little bit, to me anyway, and I know this is all kind of fuzzy, you know, feely stuff, but it feels to me like we're starting to unify in terms of voice. And um, I think it's, is it ASA or Osverse, you know, the Together We Stand, um, which you know, it's a tagline, but actually it's meaningful because I think what you'll see is once the, the voice of security kind of unifies and the same message is being he- you know, heard and being sung and being said from everywhere you look within the cybersecurity industry, that starts to become meaningful because there's no disagreement or disconnect, you know, this whole thing of need for balanced arguments. Like sometimes you don't, sometimes things are just how they are and we need to kind of get behind that. And actually, look, one of the things that came out of the Forrester research was that When you look at the numbers, you see just under 70% of the respondents, they're actually planning to either expand or upgrade what they're doing in terms of um, security and awareness training in the next 12 months. So I think that points to me anyway, like there's a a momentum here. There's an Mm -hmm. understanding that more needs to be done. You know, if that number was one in 10, I'd be panicked but you know 70% it's moving in the right direction it's it's closer to 100 than it is to 0 so that makes me feel a, a little bit more uh, optimistic
0: know, yeah yeah yeah, optimistic, yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly than uh, than than we could be so, look, I, I think like most industries, we're a little bit more like the Titanic than we are a speedboat or a jet ski. And it just. Oh, like, gosh,
0: that sounds it, depressing. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. Um, look, I mean that in, term, in terms of the size of the boat, not that it's oh, an iceberg. I thought so you were going to
0: say like the severity you know, of the sinking. Um, oh.
1: this, maybe oil tanker is a better, uh, okay, better okay. Uh, analogy. So, an oil tanker versus a jet ski. Um, in that you know it takes some time because it's so big and so lumbering and there's so many tentacles of systems and processes and people that uh, need to be considered for any of these kind of larger changes my here's here's one thing though i think uh, the awareness training side of things is beautifully decoupled from many of the things that i just mentioned there like it's not necessarily baked into process uh, in the way that some of the things are it's not a technology decision you know at, at, the, at, at a core level it's a communication decision so to me that gives a bit of an agility in terms of you know going after this to to be something that's easy to fix in terms of a security posture, because you don't have to rejig a bunch of processes to cater for it. You don't have to uh, reengineer an integration to you know platform X to platform Y or into a scene like it doesn't work that way. Like your outcomes here as a business are so beautifully decoupled from so many of the things that actually slow other programs of works down in this space. So like like I feel hopeful. Um, I think it's it's starting to get understood a little bit better um, is my sense of it.
0: So why do you think, so before you were sort of saying, traditionally speaking, people were sort of afraid to be like, oh, you're a competitor. I'm not going to sort of talk to you, Gar. Why, why, why do you think over time that sort of changed now? I still see a little bit of that. People like, I don't want to mm-hmm. share my insights or my thoughts. And I mean, sharing is how we actually evolve as an industry, right? But why do you think that traditionally speaking, people were afraid to do that versus people are sort of coming around to the idea?
1: Ooh. A really good question. And I suspect it's probably two things in my mind. I think people are probably seeing that as an expectation to be successful. And again, not to sound cheesy, but I, I like, I'm a huge believer in being able to do more together than you'll ever be able to do alone. And I think that's starting to be understood in our industry. And part of what I'm seeing in, you know, the kind of broader cybersecurity space is, And look, you can even think of things like, um, seams or sores like it, mm-hmm. it's about bringing information together and mm-hmm. that only becomes meaningful if we're all kind of talking the same language and using the same iocs and, and using the same um sort of language in a way so that things can be correlated and actioned and remediated and you know that's a very technical thing but for that to happen companies need to talk to each other and you know maybe that's kind of the um the thing that's happening is that that next evolution of security we all know it's coming and it's partly here but it's automation that only mm-hmm. happens technically through companies talking to each other and agreeing to feed data to each other and work together. Um, and I think partly then maybe that's what you're seeing is that that is kind of reducing that fear of sharing, you know, intel or how do we work or what are we what are we good at. And so I think there's partly that, and and maybe it's just a sort of maturity that's arriving within the industry. You know, people have people know each other in a way that. Um, and, and again, maybe this is just me, but it feels like you. There's longevity in this industry, so you see the same people, and they may move between companies, but you get to know them, and you get to know them as people, so you get to trust them. And because you trust them, you're happy to have those conversations because you you, you don't feel like they're just going to rip you off or try and kind of maneuver around you because you've said X, Y, Z that that could be used competitively. Like, and it feels like yeah, that spirit of sharing. Uh, man, I'm sounding like a hippie here, but um, you know, that that spirit of sharing um, it, it's just feeling more and more embedded in to me anyway, the, the sort of the, the industry and how we show up. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. No, I hear you. When you spoke before about uh, an expectation of people sort of that their minds are changing because of an expectation, where do you sort of think that originated from? Do you think, mm-hmm. again, that comes down to maturity or people sort of seeing the lights and they're sort of knowing that, uh, I mean, your competitors might not think that you're a competitive nowadays, but maybe traditionally that they did. And that sort of doesn't really get you anywhere, so to speak.
1: Yeah, look, uh, I totally agree. Um, I think, you know, partly where this comes from, and I had this conversation earlier this week actually, is potentially maybe there's some fatigue within, uh, specifically the buying side of the industry. And I know this is a horrible thing to talk about, but, you know, we have people who buy and we have people who sell and technology and all that stuff. It's part of what we do. And um, I wonder, is there an element of that expectation there where, the people who are buying platforms, technology, buying consultancy, buying communication services—all of those things are kind of a little bit, maybe. I'll Look at the expectation: is hey, guys, get, like, get your act together. You know, be mature, have confidence, have posture. You know, we're working with these two other vendors. We need you guys to you know come to the table and, and have a conversation with us as a client to fix this overall issue or help with this overall issue of cyber resilience or security. So mm-hmm. yeah, man, it, it might be kind of getting driven from that.
0: Mm -hmm. too. I've actually heard of conversations, spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago about this, that they were in a meeting with the client, there with the vendor and there was like a consulting company in there. This was not in Australia. And apparently like, um, yeah, they just started arcing up saying like, no, what those guys do is no good and stuff. And I just thought, why would you do that? Like, it doesn't really earn you much point to be fair. It actually, again, does a disservice to what you're trying to do. And I do, I think over time it's changed. I still think there's a lot of that there, but again, I, I don't think it's a strategic way of operating because it's like, you've just declared your cards that you don't want to collaborate with other people and it's all about you. And you probably actually need other vendors alongside of you to make what you are doing perform better anyway. So I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of that, but hopefully over time, that'll start just phasing out
1: it points to weakness and being like maybe too brutal here, but like I've been in those uh, situations where I'm in there as part of a presenting panel on a a broad solution to solve a problem for an organization. And, you know, I work as, um, as part of a vendor. So, you know, I might have three or four other uh, vendor organizations in there. We all get sort of time to talk. And I have literally been thrown under the bus where I've Mm -hmm. had somebody who's spoken after me come in and say, yeah, like you don't need that. We, We can do that for you or some version of And I think they're, they think they're being one thing, but actually what they come across to, to literally everybody else in the room is just small and probably Mm -hmm. insecure and just disenchanted. you know. Yeah, that's the perfect word, threatened. And I don't think buying organizations or people are looking for their problems to be solved. That's just not what they want. You know, they want a bunch of adults in a room figuring out how to solve the problem. And to your point, these days like that tends to never be one company or one person or one organization.
0: No, that tends not to be this,
1: sec- yeah, 100% security fabric, uh, team approach. Um, you know, virtual teams. Like it's not. It's not. Hey, you can buy this widget and you're done. Like that's just ridiculous.
0: Well, the other thing is now I've sort of seen changing face that uh, buyers in terms of clients are sort of turning to more companies that are hyper-specialized. So they may only do one particular service. That is it. But then they also need to get five other different people. Like I think the whole like one size fits all, we'll do it all for you in that mid-market. I honestly think that that's phasing out. And I think people need to really change their strategies right now because I know for a fact that people are not going of those types of suppliers anymore because they know that they can get a better service going to perhaps five different companies that can deliver them a better service out of 10 versus one company that can maybe deliver it out of five
1: uh, I agree and it almost goes back to like boutique um, organizations you could you could get a, a solution from an organization and you're a you know one of a thousand of their customers so you know meaningfully less important to to them as an organization versus if you go to somebody to your point is hyper specialized uh, you're either a boutique services provider, um, or a very specialist organization in a specific area. But you're going to be more important to them potentially as a customer because that's what they do. That's what they know really well, and mm-hmm. that's the problem that they can solve for you. The, the thing I think won't change is that even those hyper-specialized players, they need to talk to the other hyper-specialized players because mm-hmm.
0: these they days, need each, each very, other to win. Right? It's to not totally a zero-sum game. If you blow up the other guy, yeah. then you're probably not getting any deals.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's just not you know. That's not how security works. It just isn't. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're solving this particular problem. That's cool. But how do you let maybe another point solution know about this thing that you've solved and maybe shed, um, shed some uh, thread intel across to them or, you know, work collaboratively. And again, not to sound like hippie, but that is the future. You know, we're not we're not going to succeed unless we really start doing that more.
0: And there's another saying that a really good friend of mine, he often says is like, no one succeeds alone. Right. And I firmly believe in that. And I think that I wouldn't be as near as successful if I didn't have the people that are around me, like whether it's my team or if broader than that, like just people in the community who aren't even in, that aren't even clients of ours. So I think that doing, but going around and sort of being greedy because you don't want to share, I think, uh, again, does a disservice, doesn't really achieve any outcomes. And it kind of feels like well, why you're here, your whole mandate for working in security is actually solve a problem. And right now you're actually making a larger problem because you don't want to, you don't want to share the table with poor Gar.
1: Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, as, just I see
0: say, as an example, sorry, oh, that's,
1: that's okay. I'm not poor. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm secure enough to to take that one and be okay with it. <laughs> um, but like, I don't know if I'm just looking because I look around at the the people who I'm connected to in the security industry, and they're all. I mean, I'm assuming anyway, but they all seem just really lovely, awesome people. And um, you know, not, you know that that's the positive thing. And I have I've had the horrible experience where people have um, thrown you know us as an organization under the bus and come out of it badly. And you know, generally, I think we you know what the work we do kind of stands to to itself. So you know we come out of that stuff okay. But um like that insecurity I feel like is, is starting to yeah, people have lost patience with it. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, I think what it actually shows is a focus on the in, you know in the in the case of vendors, like the selling organization rather than the buyer. And mm-hmm. you know I, in my mind, you cannot succeed unless the buyer is your core focus. How do we fix your problem? You know, like let us let us and I mean, that, you know, using the word very deliberately, let us as in, you know, us as a vendor and you as a customer and maybe these other vendors figure that out.
0: No, I totally agree with you. So I think in a lot of our conversation, like, what do you think is going to happen now? I like, sort of even roll into COVID through this, but just us as an industry, like, where do you think we're headed? And do you think that people will change? I mean, COVID aside, in general, like, do you think we are changing? And, and if so, like, how do you think we're sort of gauging that sort of improvement
1: Ooh, that that is a really tricky one. just gauging <laughs> that improvement, um, like what what are the metrics that we could use? Um, you know, you could roll up to national numbers in terms of, you know, maybe money lost from things like ransomware attacks and, and some of the crazy stuff that's happening there, but that's only one part of it, right? What about um you know the costs of remediation or the reputation damage that happens when stuff goes wrong? Um I I don't have an easy answer for that one if I'm honest. You know, I think I think that is very complex in terms of measuring, like what is better, uh, because there's so many different parts to that um, to that question. It is partly human, you know, getting the buy-in from air quotes the business that this stuff is really important, and it's a business problem, it's a risk management problem, it's not a cost center thing. Um, I think, yeah. So I, I'll be honest with you, like I find that idea of measuring the change is so tricky to do, mm. and I say that as somebody who talks to organizations all the time. Where if they need to prove an ROI on you know a process or you know an implementation of a product, we know that they would struggle. Yeah. And you can do the napkin math, right? You can you can do the you know the average time for somebody to waste on um, you know building rebuilding a laptop because of a uh, hey, ransomware is X Y Z, and it happens twice a year, blah blah blah. But it it always feels like napkin math to me rather than anything that's really sort of meaningful. Um, I, I think we're and it's it's horrible because I think we're moving in the right direction, and my sense is that. Security, look, if if you roll back to when I was a developer, and I really probably shouldn't say this, but, you know, I was doing things and this, you know, no reflection on me, but it was back before security was understood to be really important. So I would build, um, there was one example where I built a, you know, a particular system that integrated with a back-end inventory system. Mm-hmm. So potentially had useful information if I was an attacker. And I was doing, I really actually almost feel embarrassed to say this, plain text passwords. Oh, Some of wow. them were hard-coded. There was back doors there because I needed to be able to do stuff. But again, you know, this is 20 years ago before this stuff was really understood. And I look at what DevSecOps is these days, and that's the thing that gives me hope is because that trajectory over two decades is astonishing. Because I wasn't the only one, right? Like, security just wasn't part of coding when you went onto Stack Exchange. Mm-hmm. Nobody Absolutely. Was told, you know, it wasn't, you know, that I was bad. I was just normal. That That is what gives me, um, yeah, it makes me feel really good about this stuff is that trajectory over just two decades. Which, you know, sounds like a long time, but actually, if we continue on the, the sort of the path that we're on at the moment, I think this stuff is continuing to be better. Uh, it's continuing to be understood better. Um, you know, what are the implications? What's the, the ramifications for a business? And I, I think and I hope in Australia and, you know, I've been here long enough to consider myself Australian, despite the accent and um, the love of Guinness. But I, I feel like the attitude of she'll be right, which is part <laughs> of our love about this country. Like a lovely thing. Oh it. my no, it's gosh, yeah. Such a lovely thing when you're um standing around a barbecue having a beer. It's great, you know. Um you're burning the the snags, cool. I should be right, that's fine. But in a business That's, that's concerning really <laughs> unhelpful. Um but I do feel like that is starting to uh, to go away as well. Um so like I'm I'm really hopeful, um which But, you know, again, I I think it's important. Uh, There'd be no point in turning up every day to do what we do if if we weren't. Mm -hmm. And and I just see so much positive stuff. And, like when you think about the talent in this country, where is it? Like Australia just, it blows my mind. The the talent locked up in cyber in this country. Um, So think, you know, Australia as a nation. And then globally, like the trajectory that we're on, yeah, this stuff is just getting better every year.
0: So would you say it's a fair assumption in how we measure it? Just sort of elaborating on your point would be, probably retrospectively. So you spoke before when you were a developer, what you were doing back then 20 years ago versus what's happening now. There's been a huge shift. It's probably hard to measure stuff sort of in real time, so to speak, because you can't see those changes then and there. And it's kind of like when you're working in a large organization, when you're one of 50,000 employees, you kind of feel like, oh, does what I do matter? But then over time, you can sort of see the trajectory of the business evolve. But then if you're working in more of a startup, of course, you can sort of see the changes. But then I sort of apply that type of way of thinking to what you've just said, because it's hard to sort of see, oh, do you think we are moving in the right direction? Because we can't see the change necessarily at the coalface. Yes, like you said before, with a data like uh, financials and stuff like that. But then I think as a as a broader way of looking at it, it would probably just be like, what what do we do last year versus what are we doing this year? Is there any change? Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. But then when you have more time that's elapsed, like two decades, you can see the change. So I think, I know that doesn't really give a mathematical scientific way of trying to explain something, but I guess it's really hard to measure because of the nature of the work that we all do. And, and I think it just shed some light on what you've said to say like, yeah, we are moving in the right direction, but we might, from this moment today in 2020, we might look back on this conversation and go, oh, hey, guy, we've definitely evolved because we're now in the year 2025 and we've done a lot more than what you and I were do, sort of discussing five years prior.
1: Spot on. And, and when you think about that, right, there's two bits. As, as you said of that, I'm going to riff on what you just said. You, you kind of need to know what good looks like, and I think the vision of what good looks like is evolving. And then the second part is the actual application and doing the things to get to good. right? I think those two things are working in in parallel and moving in parallel. Look, you know, speaking of somebody who at one point um, was carrying extra weight and, you know, found running and went out and kind of, you know, stopped smoking and all that stuff. Day to day, you look in the mirror and it's like, yeah, okay, this is cool. It's working. It just doesn't work that way. It takes months or, you know, in my case, maybe years to to really see those changes in health. Mm -hmm. And I don't think cybersecurity is much different than that. You know, what you know what good looks like. You know, mm-hmm. we've got that in, in terms of things like um the information that the ASD puts out, with their ISM or, you know, controls and best practice. You know, we've got some research from Forrester now that points to the data saying, hey, actually this is what good looks like when it comes to awareness training or behavior change programs for cybersecurity. That's the first bit, you know, changing changing the vision or the the measure of good. And then the second bit is the part where you get the buy-in from organizations to actually go after that and and sort of chase chase good through you know spending money building programs you know, understanding that this stuff is important. So I think both of those things they run in parallel. And that's, you know, 10 years from now, like you say, we'll be look back and just go, Oh my God, remember when we used to do XYZ? We're like, how oh, how was awkward was
0: that chat we had? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I agree there, but just just to sort of um, wrap up on those points, I think as you talked about when you're running and stuff like that, it's kind of have you seen those means and it's like I've done one push up or one sort of squat. Oh, and I go and check myself out in the mirror to see if anything's changed. Like <laughs> yeah we can't do that. Right. It takes months. And that's why when you go to a personal trainer, they're like, you're not going to see any like real progress. And that was also like going to depend on where you sort of are on that scale. Right. Like, I, I mean, if you've got a lot of weight to lose then the changes are going to be quite rapid, versus someone who is sort of just toning up. So it's kind of like that would then sort of then be determined on the maturity then of a company in, in terms of their cyber posture. And I think that, as you said that, I think that's a really good way of looking at it because things just aren't going to change. You're not going to see that like immediately, but then in a year's time, because you've been working out in the gym, you, you're going to notice, absolutely.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Actually, I spoke to uh, Phil Zongo was about, uh, two weeks ago and one of the points he actually made and, and what you just said there reminds me of it is the idea of realistic expectations also mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how that can cause so many problems where you know, if you come in as a CISO and his point was you've got to be realistic about what you're going to get done in 12, 18, 24 months
0: mm-hmm. because
1: if you overpromise and then don't deliver it, you're breaking trust. And that's another part of this is that um, we, we have to be realistic about the progress that we can make based on, to your point, where are we right now? So I think that's maybe the third part of it as well is, is those kind of realistic, you know, realistic stretch goals, but being honest about is it doable or not?
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree with you. So Gar, this has been an awesome chat. Uh, I have really appreciated just when you spoke about the, the Forrester Insight and just your inside on the industry as well. And I think it, it very much um, mirrors uh, what I firmly believe in as well. So I really, really appreciate your time and your knowledge that you provided on our podcast today. If people are keen to perhaps reach out to you to ask you a question that I haven't, how can they go about doing that?
1: Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. If people go to garohara.com.au so that's g-a-r-o-h-a-r-a.com.au it actually just redirects to my linkedin profile and i do everything through that i'm not people try and push me onto twitter Um, i'm kind of averse to social media except for linkedin because i get to choose the people i interact with in a a more controlled way so that's my my number one way to kind of have chats with people
0: Okay, awesome. Well, again, I really appreciate the chat. I think that it's definitely been insightful for myself and 100% insightful for our listeners as well. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Trista. really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.